0: Um, I'd like to introduce Father Stephen Brown for this talk. (laughs) Father Stephen um, became a Catholic at the age of 18. He studied at Manchester University where he read a degree in civil law. He then went on to study at the English College in Rome where he specialised in canon law. (laughs) And now he is a priest in the Diocese of Leeds and he is Catholic chaplain to the University of Bradford. And Father Stephen will be talking to us today on the priest and his living: the nature and purpose of celibacy. Father Stephen. No one is more surprised than I to be standing here uh, giving a talk Uh, it probably looks eccentric to be giving a talk in an overcoat but I'm cold Fathers Douglas, Pickers and Riley given three most excellent talks Um though well they have, the rascals, uh, forwarded a load of issues and questions to this final day. Father William Massey <laughs> <laughs> Strangest way to begin a talk Father William Massey asked me over the phone if I would be willing to give a talk on the priest and his loving And I said, Willie, uh, wouldn't it be better coming from an older priest? And he croaked and wheezed back, Stephen, we are the old ones now. At least he said, we. Sixteen years ago, at his diaconate ordination, a youngish seminarian made his promise of celibacy along with William Massey actually did he know what he was doing well he could not have known all the ramifications just as people getting married don't know exactly how it's all going to pan out after the wedding but he had sensed Christ's call to the priesthood He his celibacy was integral to that vocation therefore it was his will to embrace it wholeheartedly because he wanted to imitate Jesus Christ that was me, the youngish seminary. Seminary formation regarding celibacy was ridiculously inadequate. But I can vaguely remember that the practical advantages were laid out and of course that it was all done for God. But I was left with the impression that for those who were forming us, celibacy was something you had to do, but like embracing an iron bar was rather cold. Far more inspiring during seminary years was listening to Father Edward Holloway, who linked priestly celibacy directly to Jesus Christ and to priestly loving, making it emerge clearly that celibacy is not something a priest grits his teeth and does, but is more a continual state of being in relationship to Christ and his people, which has its own specific way of giving and receiving love that I hope to draw out in the course of this talk. Well, there are a range of types of love and degrees of love, are there not? Some of them are closer to the perfection of love than others. The perfection of love, of course, is found in God. So we have love of chocolate, love of football, love of walking, love of cinema, love of reading, love of deep fried squid, which is really a misuse of the word love, on another level, a higher level, we have love of persons, family relationships, love of husband and wife, love of parents for their children, love of children for grandparents, the love of brothers and sisters is unique. We have a love which exists between friends. Two Catholics have a unique love for the Holy Father, the Pope, whoever he may be at the time. There is our love for God's church, including its heavenly members our Lady and Mother and the other saints overarching them all there is or should be in a human being the love of God all distinct types of loving or degrees of love though all with their origin in God just as we can say there are distinct persons who yet belong to the same family And where does the priest's love fit into all of this? How does he love? Is the priest's love also unique, or does he somehow have to manage to get along loving like an uncle would love his nephews and nieces? And does it make him happy and fulfilled? Or does his state of celibacy mean that he must just hug the iron bar and wait for heaven? if a priest is another Christ, a living icon of Jesus Christ, which he is by virtue of his ordination. And it's not rocket science to work out that his way of loving must in some way be related to Jesus Christ's way of loving. Pope John Paul wrote in a letter to the priests of the world, starting with a passage from St. John, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the definition of love in its redemptive meaning, wrote the Pope. And we priests find ourselves particularly close to this redeeming love which the Son brought to the world, and which he brings continuously. And so we learn that Jesus Christ gives an ordinary man his own identity, makes the man's soul a reflection of himself so that he, Jesus, can continuously bring his redeeming love to the world. That, then, is a type of love which must inhabit the soul of the priest. The priest's love is tied in a unique way to Jesus Christ. Or in other words, the way a priest loves is unique to that vocation, just as married love is unique to that vocation. Our cunning tactic of Satan is to try and make us see only the difficulties of life, all the negatives, all the darkness and gloom and hardship in the hope that it will discourage us, make us give up, stop trying and not bother. If you are a Lord of the Rings, son, and if you are not, Monsignor, then you should be, then you will recall how the great and supposedly wise Lord Denethor looked into a seeing stone and was shown by the dark lord Sauron the immense might of the armies of darkness marching to destroy the city this was true but it wasn't the whole picture Sauron only showed Denethor what he wanted him to see and he concealed from him the fact that there was much goodness remaining which was a cause to hope in a similar way we find that many people are misled into seeing priestly celibacy as a necessary but terrible sacrifice as a purely negative renunciation of married life well of course it's a sacrifice of course it costs the priest if you want to use that language but there is a bigger picture which includes authentic priestly loving and the real joy which goes with that any real and genuine love is going to involve sacrifice most especially in a world disfigured by sin and evil All authentic love is going to cost something. Mum and Dad getting up at 2am to see to their baby costs them but they're motivated by love. One friend for going a night out with a group so that they can help another friend with a boring assignment costs them but if there is genuine love there they do it and it makes them happy to do it even enriches them. The point is that where there is genuine loving there will always be parallel joy and there will be fulfilment since authentic love binds a person to God. So if it is Christ's own redeeming love which must inhabit the soul of the priest does it make a difference whether the priest is married or not? It matters. It is true that a priest represents but even more than that Prince Charles can represent the Queen at certain events that she can't attend but his identity is not that of Elizabeth II he can only ever be Charles it's different with the priest he mirrors Jesus Christ he mirrors him and that's a much deeper identification therefore all that Jesus Christ is for us is reflected there in the soul of the priest. Father Holloway wrote that if the priesthood is to be lived with greatness of soul then it matters whether a priest is celibate or not. For celibacy allows a certain delicate intimacy of love by which the priest again to quote Father Holloway can knock on the most private doors of the human heart. That is what Christ did as our Lord and God. With the love of the Good Shepherd, He gently probed people's hearts and souls in order to draw them to Himself, or free them from what held them captive. He asked people for faith, told them clearly where they were wrong. He invited to a deeper, closer relationship with Himself. The priest can and should do the same on behalf of Christ. Challenge and ask questions of people which if anybody else asked them would probably be told to mind their own business. A priest can go up to a person and say, for example, Hello, I've noticed you coming to here for a number of weeks but you never come to communion. Are you a Catholic? You are. And is there some reason stopping you from receiving the Lord? And he may discover, as I have done, that the person is a divorced Catholic who mistakenly had believed for years that that alone prevented them from receiving communion. After explaining only if they had remarried would it prevent them, they went to confession and were restored to full communion with the Church. People can ask the priest for teaching and guidance Regarding the most intimate areas of their lives that nobody else will ever know about, they can tell him of their most private relationship with Christ in spiritual direction, matters never to be brought to the public forum, as there is nothing more intimate than an individual's relationship with God. The priest can ask a boy out of the blue, even on the first leaping if he is considered a vocation to the priesthood as a seminary rector the priest could say in a fatherly way to a student and which is steered into the memory of Father Luis Rochillo here, I love you like a son but you're a lazy bugger he can pester a reluctant youth that they ought to go on a retreat that he's organising or on a faith conference I'm pretty sure all the priests here can testify to many cases of finally getting someone to agree to come on something like this dragged into the minibus, kicking and screaming and then at the end of the event to be told, thanks father I really enjoyed that I do wish I could show you visually what effect such a reaction has on the priest outwardly, he may look measured, mildly pleased inside, I promise you it's all 41 gun salutes, balloons and party poppers (laughs) and and a loving interior glance to and from the Lord to do all of that it is necessary that the priest be alone as Christ himself was and not joined intimately to another in marriage Celibacy, or as Paul Holloway preferred a personal vow of chastity for the sake of the kingdom of God this provides the means or the framework for specifically priestly loving most emphatically it is not a denial of love Priestly celibacy is never just celibacy it is chastity embraced for the sake of the kingdom. It is a positive choice expressing a willingness to love in the way that Christ loved. Was Jesus Christ lonely and bitter and frustrated because he was not married? No. He was alone in the sight of the people and yet he was never truly alone or well, as he said the Father is always with me just so the priest is alone but not lonely because through the character of soul that he receives its ordination Christ is always with him yes indeed priestly love carries its own specific fulfilment in joy and warmth of relationships Christ's love was life-giving, because when human hearts opened up to him for whom they were made, the result was inevitably an increase in the life of the soul, a freeing from sin, a lightening of a burden, and the joy that comes from knowing that you are close to God, and loved by God. Because priestly love most closely mirrors the love of Christ himself for his people, It also has its own specific sorrows too just as does married love and the love of parent for child. It couldn't be otherwise in a fallen world. So just as it gives the priest immense joy to see a soul deepening in its love for God becoming more noble and beautiful so to watch a soul gradually fall away from God becoming indifferent to his love or degenerating into vice causes a very deep pain again every priest here will have experienced this something of the sorrow that Christ felt when he wept over Jerusalem because it would reject him or when he encountered real hardness of heart towards the things of God or when he watched the rich young man walk away whom he had invited to follow him I can remember as a seminarian Father Holloway talking to a group of us and telling of when he was a young priest and he knew a good lad in the parish very keen on his faith who was possibly, probably a candidate for the priesthood Father Holloway, after investing much prayer and time in him said that he saw him one day engaged in a lustful action with a girl in a park and after that the lad lost all interest in God and as he was telling us this sort of a wave of pain went across his face and I thought see how much he loved him if even after decades the memory of this still hurts him every priest will have sorrows like this but it is part of his complete identification with Jesus Christ and thus part of his priestly fulfilment just as Christ's sorrow was never wasted but always fruitful so in a mysterious way is the priest it is part of his sacrifice offered in love to God it is a carrying of Christ's cross which every disciple of Christ must be willing to do this is how God heals the wounds of the world and draws good from evil Priesthood is not a job because Jesus Christ did not have a job He had an identity and a mission As God made man, He had a totally unique relationship to humanity His mission too was unique To bring us the fullness of life And to undo all that the devil had done No one else has this sort of relationship to people, to humanity so that we can see it must involve a quite specific love in which married love could have no part and because it is exactly this kind of specific love that the priest shares in by virtue of his ordination it will not flourish in its perfection unless he has bowed himself to chastity for the sake of the kingdom of God following the pattern of Christ's own life bringing salvation into people's souls and I mean salvation in its fullest sense bringing up the fullness of life or if you like carrying Jesus Christ into people's souls it's the same thing it involves exercising this unique love a wonderful love to be aware of Christ loving people through your ministry which you do for love of Christ and his people is profoundly humbling and fulfilling I didn't have the fullness of, of this awareness when I was first ordained a priest. It, it grew. In the beginning, I was too preoccupied with getting things right, making sure that I baptized the baby's head and not his bottom, or juggling holy water, a book, and the oil when administering the sacrament of the sick to someone in hospital while trying to appear to worried relative that I was an old hand at all of this. It's all too easy, at first, to lose your place in the ritual when from the baby's nappy comes a sustained bubbling noise. But once these sorts of basics have been mastered it allows you to be ever more conscious of the mystery being enacted by Christ. But a baptism, and you can tell baptisms have obviously been my nemesis now, you could find yourself wondering for example what an angel's eye view of the event would be like For in some way the angel would see Christ himself doing the baptism as in every sacrament it is Christ who acts or in confession an angel would see Christ sitting there hand raised and saying to a penitent I absolve you from your sins and at mass it would be Jesus Christ visible at the altar saying the words of consecration offering himself on our behalf and giving himself as heavenly food at such times it is as if I, the priest-servant step aside to let Christ the Lord act I know that's not entirely accurate because nothing would happen if I wasn't there but I think too that when he has acted Christ looks at me in gratitude for allowing him to use me to minister to his people an awesome thought people who are raised as Catholics from birth will eventually have to ratify the act of faith that their parents and godparents made on their behalf at their baptism in other words there comes a point when you must consciously and personally embrace Jesus Christ and the Catholic faith if you are going to make any spiritual progress so then you will not be a Catholic you don't go to mass just because your parents do but because it is your free will to do so you have chosen to say yes to Jesus Christ you want to follow him similarly with priestly celibacy indeed Father Holloway made a distinction between celibacy and chastity under vow celibacy, he said is the only right and pure state of life for all the unmarried put another way the unmarried are morally obliged to be celibate that doesn't just mean no sex it means there can be no deliberate sexual arousal because that sort of act can only accompany sexual intercourse and sexual intercourse is reserved to husband and wife in the bond of marriage That is celibacy. but chastity under vow is when a person consciously and personally dedicates all the powers of body and soul to God for the sake of his kingdom. It is a positive consecration to God. Not merely a negative promise not to marry. Do you see how this is now operating on an entirely higher and different level? after Christ gave the disciples his teaching on marriage and how divorce was not intended by God the startled disciples remark if that is how things are between husband and wife it is advisable not to marry perhaps they made no allowance for the power of God's grace to help people to live marriage as God intended it to be lived at any rate the Lord replied to them it is not everyone who can accept what I have said but only those to whom it is granted there are eunuchs born that way from their mother's womb there are eunuchs made so by men and there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way for the sake of the kingdom of heaven let anyone accept this who can the dictionary definition of a eunuch wasn't particularly helpful Um, in the ancient world a eunuch was a royal servant usually castrated entrusted with the care of the king's wives Jesus here speaks metaphorically those who have made themselves eunuchs are those who voluntarily embrace chastity in imitation of Jesus and for service in his kingdom Christ himself made and made this very invitation to enter into a higher relationship of love towards himself and his people and this is the basis on which the church seeks out her priests. chastity under vow is indeed a sign that sex is not love and that love of its very nature transcends sexuality and the erotic function and pleasure Chastity under vow is that type of human love which reaches its perfection independently of sex Again, chastity under vow is that type of human love which reaches its perfection independently of sex And this indeed is the basis on which Christ recommends it not just for its fine value but because in itself it is the path to the highest human love Fathers of the Church, the great writers and commentators on the faith of the first millennium, they spoke of chastity under vow as reverencing the flesh of Christ. There are two things to draw out of that idea. First, chastity is total consecration. In the image of Christ, the Bridegroom, who is wedded to mankind and to the Church as his bride. Chastity is the manifestation of the priestly and kingly love of Christ for all flesh, especially those who belong to him. His self-giving is complete, or as we would say with regard to Christ our Lord in Holy Communion, it is the whole Christ, body and blood, soul and divinity. Total consecration. In addition to this, there is another interesting insight. The role of chastity as the healing or remedying in our own mortal flesh of the wound of concupiscence. In other words, in fallen man, wounded and damaged by sin, who experiences many disordered desires in his heart and in the domain of sex, chastity can take on a healing role. It is a way of loving in which nature works through grace to restore the love in human relationships to God's original intention it was the original intention of God that every human pleasure including sex should be governed by the soul which in turn was meant to be in peace and communion with God all of that was thrown into disorder by humanity's original sin our love arises within the soul not the body it was always meant to be ruled by the peace of God's presence within us therefore it is love that must rule sex sex should never rule love in any relationship it is in a life of chastity under vow that that law that love must rule sex is made strikingly visible In its faithful living, we reverence the holy flesh of Christ through which his perfect love was expressed and we work to heal the disorder in the soul and body of man. There is a very widespread belief that there is no greater expression of love between human beings than having sexual intercourse. It is an extremely narrow vision of love in its purely biological meaning sex is for the generation of a family to bring new human beings into existence precious in the sight of God and called by him to share his life it is also an expression of the self-giving love between husband and wife however we are all created as sexual beings and sex or sexuality also has a much wider sense in which the love held within the soul is expressed through our sexuality in warmth affection and tenderness without an erotic element and done so in an an appropriate way depending on the persons involved so for example it exists in marriage in the everyday usually little ways that the husband and wife show that they cherish each other and make sacrifices for the sake of the other Having sex isn't the only way they express love. A hug or a cuddle between a parent and child expresses a real love with physical warmth. Friendship is a different type of love which is expressed in its own appropriate way. This love can be very deep, but it doesn't evolve any erotic element. The point is, love does not equal sex in its narrow biological meaning. Neither does sex in that sense make love. It is one form of expressing love in one particular kind of relationship, i.e. marriage. You do get the feeling sometimes that there is a sort of general society-wide assumption that every gesture of friendship or affection must inevitably lead to jumping into bed together and that everybody is on this same road. No doubt films and TV Contribute to this mistake. How often have you watched a scene um, on the television where you have two people meet, say, in the street, and, and after a few pleasantries of, hi, high, hiya the next scene is of them thrashing around in bed? No, there are different types of love, and they all have their own proper way of being manifested through our sexuality, which gives joy to the ones who receive it and fulfilment to the one giving it. What does this mean for the priest and his unique way of loving? It means that he has voluntarily renounced sex in the narrower sense, the way of expressing love and creating family as is proper to marriage. But he is not, therefore, deprived of love, or unable to love, in an appropriately deep, warm, or affectionate way can be sent physically because of the unity between body and soul and expressed too always according to the truth of God and with an honest prudence in the light of his grace. We all have to be aware that we live with a fallen nature and that our bodies can be the victims of disordered desires. The Lord promised that those who have left everything to follow him will be repaid a hundredfold in this life and inherit eternal life he is quite capable of fulfilling what he has promised while giving up a wife and family of his own the priest does indeed receive a hundredfold in terms of love I would say that he shares in the love that people have for God which is a love beyond all others there is nothing else like it on the planet For the type of relationship which it creates between priests and people is precisely a Christ relationship. As you know, marriage is between one man and one woman who freely consented to bind themselves to each other in love permanently. In choosing each other, the couple involved have excluded all others. Their love is necessarily possessive in a good sense because they are now fused into each other this self-giving, the one for the other, holding nothing back seeking the good of the other and in doing so finding their own happiness this is their path to holiness their love is the love of two equals the love of the priest for his people is different because it is fused into the love which Christ bears towards his people It is wide-ranging, and it carries a personal authority which comes from God. This kind of love sees what is good and true and of God in others, and it wants to build that up, to take it further and deeper into the life of God, and even challenge people to relinquish what may be spiritually harmful to them. It is not a love between equals, as married love is, It necessarily has an element of leadership in it precisely because it is a Christ relationship. The priest cannot be possessed in love by any one human person. His specific love is directed towards cherishing the interior life of individual souls to the further deepening and refining of their personalities in the knowledge and love of God that sort of relationship that unique way of loving people does not fit easily with the sharing of life, of bed and of mutual equality and intimacy which is married life it is obviously possible for a married man to be a Catholic priest too the Church has allowed it in certain cases but I don't believe that the unique type of loving which is priestly loving can be lived to its perfection if the priest's heart is being pulled in two ways towards all that is expected of him by Christ and his people and towards his wife and family who have every right to expect a total commitment to them from husband and dad St Paul wrote very clearly on this potential problem in his first letter to the Corinthians it's not hard to see what tensions might be generated priest, married priest may very well form deep spiritual friendships with others including women and young people people who may be more advanced in the spiritual life than his wife or children how is she, the wife or the priest's children going to react seeing all of this entirely innocent and pure though it may be but the priest couldn't refuse to develop such friendships for the sake of his natural family because The nature of his priesthood requires that he be open to minister Christ's love and form the souls of whoever Christ chooses to send to him, and indeed whenever he sends them. Nor could a married priest try and live some kind of schizophrenic existence, deciding to give total commitment to his pastoral flock on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays and Sundays, and total commitment to his wife and kids on Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays. No, he must have settled integrity of life and a unified focus in his soul. The two loves, married and priestly, are mutually exclusive. They each have their own essential roles to play in the plan of God. And indeed, within that plan, they are mutually complementary. God's kingdom needs both in order to grow. the vocation of priesthood then does not stand without the vocation of marriage a man is taken from among the people of God transformed into a living icon of Christ and given back to the people in this new relationship he is then called to carry Jesus Christ into their lives so that people may come into contact with the one in whom they were designed to live through his preaching teaching and especially the sacraments husbands and wives receive from God the life that they need to live out their vocation and go deeper into it and parents don't simply beget children they must also see to their formation in love and truth and knowledge of God through the priest Christ takes and perfects what parents have begun and without loving their parents any the less children may open their soul to the priest simply because of the Christ relationship that exists between them. Same applies as children get older and their own moral and spiritual lives unfold and the first stirrings of vocation are perhaps sensed. In this relationship of trust, the priest may speak the words and the love of Christ and leave the person in question free to respond to Christ as they will. What is absolutely required is that the priest does indeed speak for Christ and reflect the love of Christ and living thus the priest finds his own deep fulfilment and path to holiness Now there are very many ordinary instances, not particularly dramatic, which I could relate of reflecting the truth of Christ and the love of Christ to various people day in, day out, which has given great joy. Well, this has to be done all the time if you are mirroring Jesus Christ. At the risk of completely blackening my image, I will tell you of one of my great pastoral disasters, uh, which illustrates the point negatively. I recall being asked by a distraught lady whether she would ever see her dog again, which had just died and I was reluctant to answer I couldn't think how to answer in fact and I was in a flap because I was late for a school governor's meeting and I was on the way from the presbytery to the school and she was walking on behind me yapping and uh, so eventually she kept insisting so I I turned round and said No, you won't, it's gone (laughs) Why are you laughing? (laughs) But she didn't take that too well and uh, oh, a disaster. Christ would not have responded thus, so I failed to mirror him to that woman. Moses once got so impatient and frustrated with the people of Israel that when God commanded him to order verbally, a rock to produce water for them to drink, Moses struck it. Twice for the branch and the water flowed out as God wished. No big deal, you might think, but it was, in God's eyes. He said to Moses, because you did not display my holiness in the sight of the sons of Israel, you will not enter the promised land. Moses had allowed his own very human impatience to override his obligation to reflect God to the people and God is never petulant, huffy, or impatient. A priest is another Christ in his soul. He must also reflect this in his psychological and personal relationship with God's people, or there is a danger of becoming a religious bureaucrat or policeman. A Catholic priest is not a guru. He is not to be approached asked. So what's your take on God, life, and the universe? Or what do you believe about euthanasia? The priest is approached because he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts, and men seek instruction from his lips on the mysteries that Christ has revealed. He has no authority whatsoever other than to speak the truth of Jesus Christ, or more simply to communicate Jesus Christ to his people. As you heard, I am a university chaplain and so most of my daily life is taken up with ministering to 20-somethings. I actually rather enjoy this. Quite wonderful. And as I'm twice the age of them, I could easily be their biological father. I suspect for a few of them I am a kind of surrogate parent. Moreover, there is enough age difference between me and them so that I don't have to worry about being cool. The very idea borders on the grotesque. And, and I have this relationship to them because I'm a priest. They expect me to put before them the truth. They expect me to be available for them whenever they happen to need a priest or have their sins forgiven. I take their needs and their worries to the old. And